Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat on the Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network. This is Josh. With me tonight, as always, is Luca. Luca, how's it going? It's going good. Nice, relaxing Sunday night, or Sunday all day, I should say. Um, yeah, it was it was an enjoyable time having that win in the pocket, kind of like it was in week one, Josh, if we remember all the way back then, where then you can just enjoy a Sunday of football and relax a little bit and see what else this league has to bring to us in entertainment value. So tonight's episode is going to be a little bit different. Uh, if you're expecting a Detroit Lions postgame show, which is the norm for Bill's chat, that is not what this is going to be. If you want, we did record and we're live for our live show, um, a similar episode where we did our game balls and game checks and did our postgame show on Friday for our built-in Buffalo live show. So if you go back to where any of your podcasts can be found, that was uploaded on Friday if that's what you're looking for. However, what we have in store for you tonight is much more of a big picture conversation because this is such an important moment in the Bills season. They've gotten through Thanksgiving. They still are dealing with injuries and illnesses, and they're about to embark on this three-game stretch against AFC East opponents and I just want to have a conversation with my guy, Luca, tonight. I have some questions prepared for him that I think are topical about this team. He has not seen these questions. I want to take his temperature on how he thinks things are going with this team, certain concerns we might have, where his confidence lies in certain areas of the team. And you at home, play along, answer along with him. And I'm going to give him my answer when he gives me his. Luca, are you ready to roll with this game tonight that I have for us to play? 100%. I love doing stuff off the cuff here. So uh, shoot it. <laughs> Let's see what you got. All right. Well, before the game gets started, we do have a little bit of Bill's news to get to. Uh, we have a reunion. John Brown is back with the Buffalo Bills on the practice squad. That makes sense. The Bills only have four active wide receivers on their roster. Tanner Gentry has now been elevated twice or three times. So if he does get elevated again this week against New England, he is subject to waivers. I don't think there's going to be some long line of teams waiting to sign Tanner Gentry, but the bills right now, low on numbers of that position had to have some insurance. John Brown knows the system. He knows Josh Allen. It makes sense all around. Um, as far as some of the injured bills, Sean McDermott has already ruled out Von Miller for the game against New England. Josina Anderson has said that there is still a chance that Von Miller could opt to have season-ending surgery. He did not tear his ACL, which is a fantastic thing because that would have not only ended this season, that would have really cut into his next season. Just, I mean, look no further than the Trey White situation, folks, just to understand what the impact of that torn ACL could have been for Von Miller. And then think about how much older he is than Trey White. And that is a bullet dodge no matter what happens the rest of the way here. It sounds like we're playing a waiting game with what he's going to do with his surgery. He could either play through it with a brace and get surgery in the offseason or opt for surgery now. And it's going to be another week or two before we have that answer. Some bills that missed Detroit are back on the practice field today. Keep in mind, when I say today, I'm talking about Sunday. The Bills play on Thursday, so Sunday was like their normal Wednesday practice. This is the first practice of the week. They'll practice again on Monday and Tuesday. Gregory Rousseau, Mitch Morse, and Tremaine Edmonds were back on the practice field. Deion Dawkins did not practice today. Sean McDermott did not go into detail about if he was day-to-day -day or week-to-week. -week. That would obviously be a massive injury if he has to miss any time, so we'll keep an eye on that. 
A.G. Epinesa was also not on the practice field today, although Ed Oliver in his interview said that he anticipates A.G. Epinesa and Greg Rousseau will be back this week. And then another illness has struck the Bills. Eight Bills were out of practice today, so they ended up having to do more of a walkthrough after their first team period. And some of the names that were included on that, Jaquan Johnson, Jordan Poyer, Khalil Shakir, Naheem Hines. So keep your eye on that. Keep your eye to our Twitter page. We'll keep you up to date as we get news. Luca, I just info dumped the news to you. Anything stand out there as far as John Brown being back, players back at practice, yada, yada, yada. I love my boy Smoke. Um, It's fun to see him back. I mean, am I expecting anything much of you know, production with him. No, not really. It's definitely a position, as you pointed out, where we don't really have a lot of options at this point in time. And it made sense. Um, No, it's I'm just fingers crossed on the Von Miller stuff, really. It, it, hoping for the best, really just, we. it's a guy we brought in for one specific reason, and it would really, really suck to see that not come to fruition this season in the postseason just because a Thanksgiving Day game against the Lions kind of nicked his knee a little bit. That turf, that damn turf in Detroit somehow yeah. grabbed our key person. And it's it's an interesting thing because that turf is one of, of, I believe, seven that the NFLPA have pointed to as a problematic turf for players and should be addressed immediately. And I know there's ongoing things with that. We don't need to dive into that, of course. Everything else, just, yeah, let's just hopefully get back to health. It's good to see Edmonds, Morse, uh, and Rousseau out there in practice once again. And uh, we'll just have to keep you up to date and keep ourselves up to date as well as we go into this week against New England on Thursday night. We will keep our ear to the ground on all updates there. But now it is time for us to have our conversation where I have prepared some questions for Luca, some talking points, if you will. And Luca, my first question for you is at the beginning of the season on our season preview show, you made it very clear that you were confident that the Bills were going to win the Super Bowl this year. So what I want to ask you is for this very first question is I want to get a baseline from where you started for the season. So on a scale of one to a hundred, where was your confidence? And I want to say, no matter how confident you are in a team, a hundred does not mean you're a hundred percent sure there's no way it can go wrong because you know, even the biggest favorites in NFL history are what four to one, five to one favorites. So that would put you at like 20% on your best day. So when I say one to a hundred, let's look at the scale like this. If you say a hundred, it's they are clearly the best team in the league and barring a catastrophe that you almost can't see coming, this team is going to get where they want to get to. If you say 50, 50 to me in this conversation would be, okay, they're in the conversation with the best teams in the league. There's maybe four or five teams on their level, and I think they'll have a shot to be a team that wins the Super Bowl. 20 would be like, you know, I think they're going to make the playoffs. You make the playoffs, you never know what's going to happen. So, Knowing that's like your scale, where would you say at the beginning of the year when you were putting money on the Bills, when you were predicting the Bills to win the Super Bowl, where would you say on a scale of 0 to 100 was your confidence level that the Bills were going to win the Super Bowl this year? Yeah. I mean, the key point that you just brought up there was, you know, I have a pretty uh, fair amount of investments on this team when it comes to Super Bowl aspirations. 
Um, yeah, I think in on that scale going into this year, my confidence level is probably in a range. I'll give you a range just because it's really tough mm-hmm. to sure. that we're sitting here. It was probably an 85 to 90. Like it was there were the obvious uh, speed bumps that we still needed to see them go through, which were, you know, Kansas City and stuff of that nature and see how the season needed was going to work out. But going into this year, I think it's safe to say that that's where my confidence level was only because, again, I was willing to bet personal friends, sports books, anything on this team to at least make it to the Super Bowl, if not winning the whole damn thing. And I don't put my money somewhere where I'm not at least 75 percent confident. So that's where the floor is. And I will say, I mean. You remember our discussion going into week one. I was like, we are going to curb stomp the Los Angeles Rams in their own home on opening night, and everyone's going to be able to watch it. That I was a hundred confidence in. There was like, barring a catastrophe, we were going to have that result happen. It did indeed happen. Um, So yeah, overall on the season, though, I would probably put it at about my preseason confidence level was around 85 to 90. That's that's if I had to think about little me uh, preseason. Yeah. 85 to 90. Okay, so 85 to 90. We'll just we'll say that it's 85. And for for that definition, we'll say they're the best team in the league. In your opinion, there is still plenty of football things that can happen that could get in their way. There's obviously randomness involved, but the way it all looks and baked into that at the time was we thought Kansas City's path to a division title was going to be significantly harder than the Bills because the the Chargers had added Khalil Mack and to go with Bosa. The, the Raiders had added Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones. The Broncos had added Russell Wilson. We thought that division was going to just eat at each other, and the Bills – their division was nothing but unproven teams, unproven quarterbacks. And it felt like at the time that anything less than five wins in their six division games would be very disappointing. Obviously, sitting here today on recording on November 27th, episode uploading November 28th, that's flipped. The AFC East looks significantly more difficult than the than the AFC West. So if your preseason baseline was an 85% confidence, Sitting here today, Luca, where is your confidence that these Bills are going to be Super Bowl champions? Uh, oh, man. Again, this is on the spot here. So, yeah, Josh hasn't given me a whole lot of time to think about this. Um, I'd probably say, again, on this scale, people have to remember that 100 isn't even a guarantee. Oh, 55, 60. That's probably where my head's at right now. Like I'm still fairly confident that they can do things that we need them to do. It's just, we're seeing them deal with a lot of stuff that I'm sure we'll dive into more here. I, I, again, I don't know what questions you have that you're going to be throwing my way, but yeah, the division that you just laid out to us and the, the actual breakdown that we have in front of us is a lot more difficult than we thought. I will also add this, Josh. I was not one of the individuals that hated New England as much as everyone else seemed to going into this year. And you are one of them. (laughs) I was pointing to myself on camera. That's me. Look, it is like this is still New England people. They're not going to just be a pushover as long as that individual runs the show over there. That's the reality of of it all. It's just did we see the Jets turning things around as much as they have? No. Did we see the Dolphins turning things up as much 
as, as quickly with everything because Tua and stuff like that. Probably not. There, I would say there was probably a 50-50 shot out there. I didn't really see it as being as dominant as they are now. Um, so with all of that in mind, on top of, does it seem like the reality is we're going back through Arrowhead? Yes. Yeah, I'd probably put it at about a 65 at best. Um, at this point in time with my confidence level, I'm not, not confident. It's just, look, the path is a lot more difficult than what it seemed like in the preseason sitting here week 12, eight and three and a lot going on in front of us. So I think that's interesting. I think if you're somebody listening to this conversation and you hear a drop from say, 85 to he said 55 to 60 ended up settling on 65. That sounds like, oh, your confidence is dropped. But think about everything that's happened this season. One, our division, the AFC East, is significantly tougher than the Chiefs division. Two, think of the laundry list of injuries the Bills have dealt with. I believe it was Sal Capaccio who said that outside of Daquan Jones, every single defensive player who matters on the defense has missed time this season, significant time, meaning at least a full game. That is wild. And that's obviously going to continue now with Von Miller. Um, And then you think about the fact that they have lost a couple of games that just had you wondering how did that possibly happen? And their quarterback is dealing with an elbow injury that Tony Romo wanted us all to know on Thanksgiving is still bothering him. And I can just tell you that if Tony Romo is saying that, it's because he got that from Josh Allen's people. Josh Allen and Tony Romo are very tight. Tony Romo is not making stuff up about Josh Allen. So I think that's about as good as it gets as far as inside information on Josh Allen. So for Luca to be still in that 65% range, which I would qualify as the Bills are one of the better teams in the league in the conversation of, I would say, top three or four teams in the league. And they'll get to the playoffs, take their chances. And I like their chances against anybody, but I'm not willing to just bet the house on it. I think that's something we should all sign for right now. And that's probably where I would be. I might even be a little bit less because this elbow injury does concern me a little bit. I'm not a doctor. I don't pretend to be. But the fact that they erred on the side of not letting it rest, I do wonder if it's going to be able to fully heal in time for the playoffs. I certainly hope so. Uh, because having a fully healthy Josh Allen is just the ultimate wild card to have on your team, no matter what the state of the roster is at that at that point in time. Uh, but speaking of the state of the roster, Luca, let's move on to question three. Question three is about the wide receiver group, the much maligned wide receiver group. Right now, the Bills have four wide receivers on their active roster. Stefan Diggs, Gabe Davis, Isaiah McKenzie, and Khalil Shakir. The current state of the wide receiver group, which I think no matter who you are, you have to say is underwhelming, either from the standpoint of they only have four on their roster or really it's only been Diggs who has been performing at the level we expected. And he has been performing even above that level this year is the current state of the wide receiver group poor planning by Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott and whoever put this roster together. Or is it poor fortune? And when I say poor fortune, I mean Jake Kumaro got hurt. Jamison Crowder got hurt. Tavon Austin left the team because at the time he didn't see a path to playing time. Fast forward a couple of weeks, I think he could easily see that path here. And then on top of that, Gabe Davis and Isaiah McKenzie have not developed into the roles 
that the bills saw for them. And you could put that under either bucket, poor planning or poor fortune. Would you define the current state of the bills wide receiver group as poor planning or poor fortune? It's a, it's a mixture. I, I, you can't just finger one thing and just look at it and just point to it and go, this is it. That's the reason. This is why we sit here. It's, it's definitely multiple things. And I think uh, the planning aspect of all of it is a fascinating one. It's one where I look at something, especially sitting here, of, it's going to pull from something that's not even in the wide receiver room, Josh, but I'll get to my point eventually. Something that you love to do where it takes a long winded turn, but we'll get to what we need to discuss eventually. When you see things happening on the de- defensive side of the ball, and everyone's getting on the injury report, and it seems like we just need to find people to play. The reason I'm bringing this up is you have a guy like Terrell Bernard that you took in the third round that you thought you would be able to get production potentially out of if you need him for, and it looks like they wanted to try to, and it's really not happening in a good way. Could that have been used for something such as a weapon on the perimeter in the wide receiver group? Yes. That's where I look at it. If you want to talk about planning, having another fresh body, we got Khalil Shakir where we got him in the fifth round. So this is another discussion that I will bring up later, but just adding more pieces here because you don't know if that fifth round pick that you eventually got will work out in a way that you like, like just adding more weapons as much as possible, especially on rookie contracts would have been nice now that you sit in this current predicament that you are. Because the thing we were banking on was Gabe Davis to take that step forward and be a true number two, a high-end number two. McKenzie to fill that you know ultimate number three slot. Uh, we'll call it safety blanket slash gadget roll all wrapped in one. All that fun stuff. And those two things have not happened. Shakir not being a factor, I'm not going to fault him. The reality is he's a day three pick that... Also, he doesn't provide the whole package. And when I say that, I mean, there's a reason that I feel like Shakir's snaps and utilization is not as high as some people might like. He's not a blocker. He can't be utilized in any facet of that. And because of that, it it might be almost like a tip of the hand. If if he's on the field, this is what it's for. So you're just going to only bring him out there when, say, it's a third and long or whatever it is. And you just need those guys who can be in that role. And why are you even trying to think make them think it's something else whatever it is Khalil Shakir is not quite ready yet for that kind of regular usage it seems like and just they don't want to depend on him for a lot of things at this point in time that's fine look that's the reality of it but now you also do have that poor fortune as you put it with Kumaro and Crowder that you you wished you just had a plentiful amount of other weapons out there that you could just try to plug and play and get to work because outside of digs, no one else is giving you anything consistent. And that's the reality of it all. I'm just, I, I look at that third round pick and hopefully Terrell Bernard can turn into something. And I'm like a day two pick in that predicament there. There were other guys that maybe if they just done something else, I don't want to go back into the draft. I don't want to look at it. It's just something like that where, I don't think that that was necessarily a pick that was done for the immediate. It was done more with the future, which of course is what you do with picks, but we're going to run into a point in time where we have to have rookie contracts filling out a lot of positions due to the financial situation we're in. And now we're in a position where at wide receiver, where we will need to kind of figure out those rookie contract situations. We also need immediate returns and we just don't have the bodies to do so. We just got an individual, again, that we mentioned earlier, Smoke, 
off his couch and into this into this locker room because he's familiar. Luckily for us, he was okay with unretiring to come play with us. That's great. Hopefully he's in great shape. Hopefully he can, you know, do his part, whatever that may be, if called upon. But when you're literally asking previous players to unretire and join the team, you have found yourself in a situation where you did not plan accordingly and also just have a lot of bad luck that is stacking up against you. And now your back's against the wall at that position. And this is all you got left. So it's an interesting thing too, because it probably will lead into another discussion about this position and everything like that. But overall, where they currently sit with wide receivers, everyone is kind of at fault. And now it's just, we need to make the best with what we have. Hopefully it can get better. But, and I think that that's the whole thing too. I don't want people to think that I think it's doom and gloom over here. I don't want people to think that I think it's kind of uh, shite. I, you know, I do think Gabe Davis can step it up a little bit and he has the ability to do that. I do think McKenzie can kind of, McKenzie had a great bounce back. It seemed like in Detroit, right? It seemed like he could at least be a little bit of something there. His second go around in Detroit, we'll call it against the actual team that plays there. Um, they have that potential. Shakir can still be a guy in the pass game. It's just, they need to be able to do that. They really do. Like if they cannot move forward and get back up on their horse and become a little bit more reliable than what they've been, it's going to be, um, it might be doom and gloom come season end just because you couldn't get consistent production with anything there due to the situation that the, uh, front office has put them in and then just the poor luck that they've just just the poor luck that's happened to that receiver group it's just it's a shame um but everyone's kind of a little bit of blame and then of course there's a little bit of blame to just crap luck that's all it is so i will say it's bad luck for what's going on at the slot position i thought brandon bean did a very good job of giving himself insurance with jameson crowder and i will also say Tavon austin i felt like Tavon austin was a comparable player to what isaiah mckenzie had shown to be in the past to where if Isaiah McKenzie took a step back or if it showed like he couldn't handle that role, um, I think Jamison Crowder made a lot of sense as of an as an insurance policy. And I know people will say, well, he has a history of getting injured. You can't be surprised he gets hurt. I think Jamison Crowder was coming here to play a part-time role. So the risk of him getting injured should have been smaller than if he was going to be an every down player like he had been with the Jets in the past. And it just so happens he got hurt on one of those um, small percentage of snaps he was playing. And he's gone. And then Tavon Austin wanted to leave the team because he wasn't getting enough opportunity. He hasn't popped up anywhere else. I suppose that's an option that's still out there for them. I would not anticipate that happens. From a poor planning standpoint, I'm going to go back to your Terrell Bernard comment because AJ Klein was signed off the street a week ago and he played a hundred percent of the snaps against the Lions. And on our show on Friday, Built in Buffalo Live, I called him out as somebody who, while not deserving of a game ball, was at least deserving of recognition in that segment of somebody who could be an honorable mention because off his off his couch, even though he was playing for the Bears, so he's in football shape, off the street to 100% snaps. The flip side of that conversation is you have a guy that just joined the team a week ago playing 100% of the snaps because the rookie they drafted in the third round is not cutting it. Neither Luca nor I are going to grade a rookie 
in their first year. It's, it's just bad practice. These guys take time to grow and time to learn, but there is no way other than looking at this as a failure so far to say that Terrell Bernard is succeeding as a third round pick when a guy off the street comes in and plays 100% of the snaps in a big game for this team because the rookie's not ready. Terrell Bernard could wind up being a starter for this team down the line. He could prove us wrong. Who knows? But to this point, that return on investment is not there. I think there's other things this team could have done to give themselves better options at wide receiver. They did draft Khalil Shakir. Um, I think they probably could have drafted another receiver along the way. You mentioned the Bernard pick. They did not mind parting with a fourth round pick in the first round to get up and get Kair Elam in the first round. So when you start thinking about the second round, when they ended up finally taking James Cook after trading down twice, there was a run on receivers right there. George Pickens, Alec Pierce, Sky Moore, right before the Bills picked. And maybe that third round pick that ended up going for Terrell Bernard could have been used in a package with their second round pick to move up and get one of those guys. So it's all hindsight. Everybody can be a great drafter when you have the the afterthought of the board of what it looks like. So I don't want to be that person. But the end result is the end result. This wide receiver group is understocked. And I think it's because one, they thought that Gabe Davis and Isaiah McKenzie were going to elevate their games to a point where to this point of the season, they haven't. There's still plenty of time left for them to do so. And by the way, the most important games are in front of us, not behind us. Think about what Gabe Davis did in the playoffs last year. If he comes close to doing that at all in the playoffs this year, we will forget all about the season that has taken place in September, October, and November. But to this point, I'd say I put about 70% on bad planning and 30% on bad luck. But speaking of wide receivers, Luca, there is a wide receiver addition this team can still make. Odell Beckham Jr. at the time we were recording is still a free agent and he has been linked to the Bills. Now, there's reportedly three teams that are considered front runners, Dallas, the New York Giants, and the Buffalo Bills. And those three teams have visits set up with Odell Beckham this week, according to CBS Sports. How confident are you that Odell Beckham will be a Buffalo Bill? I think it's a long shot and it pains me to say it. I really do. I want hope to be there, but it's the hope that kills you. And <laughs> here comes the doom and gloom. Um, it's the hope that kills you. And the reality is when we saw the final list of visits come out and it went Giants, then Bills, then Cowboys, the reality is whenever you see those free agent visits come out, it's always about just make sure he doesn't leave the door. But there's also a reason that they put the team last. Whatever that team last is, is probably the front runner, you would say, to that individual. And unless you can do something for them that blows them away or whatever you want to call it, they're probably just going to go with what they feel to be the best choice for them, which is good for them as a player. but. The Bills, I don't think, have what it takes at this point in time to manufacture anything that can blow Odell away. Look, I love Buffalo, born and bred, everything about it. You can't exactly sell an individual like Odell, location and everything like that as a advantage over the likes of New York and then, in reality, Dallas here. 
Um, we don't exactly have massive funds to just throw at them and say, this is what we want from you. And this is what we can give you. And you basically have to sell him Josh Allen and everyone knows what you're selling him. Everyone knows what Bean is going to be sitting down and discussing with him and being like, this is why you should want to be here. And that's really important. And maybe his friendship with Vaughn and all that kind of stuff it really will propel it over and Vaughn just kind of locks the doors and makes sure he doesn't get out until he signs a contract. Who knows? I don't think it's impossible. I don't think it's over. A visit's still going to happen. Even after all this stuff that came out today, a visits are still happening and apparently no one's mindset has changed. Josh, I'm assuming you've seen what's happened today, right? Yeah, I guess we should talk about that. So Odell Beckham <laughs> was boarding a plane in Miami I'm, I'm assuming going to New York for his first visit, but that that's kind it's of a LA, I thought, but I'm not okay. sure it was LA bound. So maybe he was going there to pick up stuff or whatever, but yeah. Sounds like he had fallen asleep in his chair and on the seat on the plane and the flight attendant came up to him and said, Hey, uh, we had the fasten seatbelt sign on and you need to put your, your seatbelt on. And so this, this is where you have to kind of choose your own adventure. Do you want to believe the, um, the statement the agent put out, do you want to believe the story that came out from, I guess, sources with the airline? Um, what ended up happening is it became an ordeal where I guess at first he refused to put his seatbelt on and then he eventually got asked to leave the plane and he finally, like after causing a ruckus, uh, left the plane and they had to get everybody else off the plane before he did. And then everybody else got back on the plane and he had to find new travel. Now, his agent put out a statement that makes it sound like the flight attendant was basically trying to pull a power trip. Odell was asleep. He was surprised when he woke up and was like, oh, I'll put my seatbelt on now. And they were like, oh, no, you ignored our first request. And they were trying to make a name for themselves. You can choose to believe what you want. To me, I don't think this is anything that impacts him as a as a free agent unless it comes out like then this is. This is way out of left field. This is not me at all reporting it unless it comes out that he was asleep because he had like substances in his in his blood or his body that was like causing him to be knocked out on the plane. There has been zero reporting on that. So I think he probably was just tired and fell asleep. And then you'll have to draw your own conclusions unless some video pops up from somebody on the plane of whether he was belligerent to the flight attendant or the flight attendant was just having a power struggle with him. Uh, but yeah, I agree with Luca. I don't think this is going to impact him as a free agent. Yeah, no, that that I right exactly as you put it. I don't think it affects anything, but it's still something. Anyways, um, yeah. So just to kind of wrap it up, though, the the reality is he came out with his list. The Cowboys were last, and to me, that puts it. If I had to do like percentage game, right? I think the Giants are kind of ten percent. We'll call it, you know. So now there's ninety percent left. I would say the Bills have a thirty-five percent chance, and then the Cowboys have a fifty-five percent chance, and that's really where it stands. I think there's a romantic thing with the Giants, of course, and stuff like that, but it's not like he wants to play for that team in its current state. I don't think the they are kind of. I don't want to call them phonies, but you know, as Josh likes to say, paper giants or paper titans paper or whatever. Tigers, yeah. Paper, yeah, paper tigers. Yeah, sorry. Um, you know, they're not really a true contender. Um, the Bills, of course, are a contending team. They have the pieces and everything like that. We all know that. But beyond that, they don't have a huge financial uh backing to them. And then it's not exactly like they're a destination when it comes to a place. 
And then the Cowboys are the Cowboys and Jerry Jones is Jerry Jones and everything about them. I will say this. I have had conversations off air with Josh. I like the Cowboys as a team a little bit more than I would like to admit. And there's something about them that feels a little more real than normal. And so for that reason, on top of everything else, they just seem like the leader in the clubhouse. And I do believe Odell also sees it that way with all of the kind of signs and pieces, things you can piece together. Um, it's a shame really, because he really, as we are discussing the wide receiver position, he really does feel like that piece that could slide everything else in its proper spot and everything I would imagine would click from there and boy, would he look beautiful in this uniform. But overall, I'm not exactly like it's never going to happen, but I believe it to be a bit of a long shot. And I'm just hoping that something about when he walks into this, you know, walks into this front office, walks in, has a conversation with Bean. I would imagine Von Miller is going to be in that room. I can't imagine he won't be. And just the discussions are being had, the walk around the facility, whatever, whatever he wants to do at that point in time, something just speaks to him to tell him to sign a contract that we can make happen for him and that he's okay with. I imagine it's not going to be a hundred percent in cryptocurrency of any variety and uh little jab there. Um, and then, uh, yeah, like that's the, it's, it's like two fingers crossed behind my back. Please just don't let him leave the room. Don't let him take a phone call and leave, like keep him in the building, keep him in the conference room and get him to sign that dotted line, please, please, please. But I don't think that's going to be the case overall. If I had to bet on it, I would probably put my money on the Cowboys at this point in time with Odell. And we'll just have to see how it goes from there. It feels like a lot has happened here that would tip the scales against the Bills in this. One, Josh Allen did injure his elbow. And if you're Odell Beckham, the one thing you want to come here and do is play with a great quarterback. You can say whatever you want to about Von Miller. If Josh Allen is not here, Odell Beckham is not even considering the Bills. It's it's to catch passes from Josh Allen and run routes opposite Stefan Diggs. That is the allure. Now, Josh Allen has played through it. He's played well. And by all medical reports... He should be getting closer and closer to 100% in the next few weeks. So maybe that's not a huge deter. Now, the Von Miller situation, that's another story. We don't know what's going to happen with Von Miller. We certainly hope, um, you know, for obviously when we say we hope, we want what's best for the player. Like the, he's a human being. And if there's any risk of like him re-injuring it and not being able to walk and play with his kids after retirement, that is way more important than the Bills winning a Super Bowl trophy, as much as it pains me to say that. So we, when we say hope, we mean that it all lines up medically that Von Miller can play through it this year, get back on the field for the championship run, get corrective surgery this offseason, be ready to go by opening day next year. That would be the best case scenario. And I think Von Miller would be 100% honest with Odell Beckham about what he's thinking. I don't think it would be a situation where Von Miller would be like, oh, yeah, I'm coming back, I'm coming back. And then Odell signs the dotted line and Von's like, psych. Like these guys are too close. They're like brothers. And he would not do that. The other thing that gives me pause, though, because those two I've kind of made the case for and then made the case why they may not be a big deal. The thing that gives me pause is the, the stories coming out now that Odell Beckham is looking for his final destination, right? Like he wants whatever team he signs with to be this team he ends his career with. And what always lined up best to me about the Bills was they could be a temporary landing spot, come here, 
play with Josh Allen, play with Von Miller, be a part of this team that's going to do something special this year, reset your market, and then this offseason, win a, win a ring in Buffalo, you're a legend here. If the Bills want to make the money work, great. But otherwise, like you're a Bills legend for the rest of your life. Go get paid and go wherever you want to go. I don't think it, the Bills really have the financial means, like Lucas said, to to sign him to a deal that is, you know, beyond two years at this point in time. And now I, I will just tell everybody, like I have heard through the grapevine that, um, and when I say grapevine, I, I'm not having conversations with Brandon Bean, so don't misunderstand. But I had heard through the grapevine that you know, a few weeks back that there was an agreement between the Bills and Odell Beckham on a two-year deal that was more of like a verbal kind of deal. But I've since heard that like things have changed. So who knows what to believe? And I'm just telling you, like, I was more confident a few weeks ago he was going to be a Bill. The cowboy noise is getting bigger and bigger, but um, it certainly is a big domino to fall on this season. Um, I would say I'm pretty right there with Luca. 35 might even be a little strong at this point. I would say you know, I'd probably put my percentage even like closer to 20. Uh, Luca, if if the Bills wind up with Odell Beckham, your baseline for where the Bills are right now is 65% confidence. What does that change your number to if Odell Beckham is a Buffalo Bill? That hit me right up to 75. Okay. I'll keep it short and sweet. It, it would be right up to 75. I think Odell moves the ticker for sure. Again, I, I feel like in a, an individual like Odell – can slide a lot of things into place where they fit more cleanly, where they feel more comfortable, where everything can kind of do what it it's it the one major piece I think that it kind of opens up and really makes feel good is Gabe Davis. I think Gabe Davis would go to a role we've already seen him thrive in spades at. And now the focus is no longer on him opposite of Diggs, and it's going to be Odell naturally. And Davis can become that thing again that we know he can be already. Like it's it's one of those things where it just feels like the chips will fall where they should instead of fall where they may, I guess. Um, so yeah, I would probably say go from 65 to 75. I think <clears throat> overall. It's not still to the confidence level, obviously, in this case, since there's now numbers on it, where it would get me to the point of where I was preseason. But that's just due to a lot of injuries and things and how they've all worked out to this point that are just bigger. I mean, you have hide out for the year, although, man, he keeps flirting around with us, Josh, the hide stuff and that hide chatter. And it just gets me so excited and happy. Like if that could somehow be a real thing that doesn't jeopardize him as a human being, similar to like what you said with Vaughn, and he could somehow come back to this team, come the important games. Whoa, what a boost that would be to everything. But you have that situation. Poyer's still dealing with his stuff. The defensive line seems like a rotating door with the injuries and just there's a lot going on. Odell's a big, big piece, though, and I really think he would move the ticker in a positive direction to the point where 75, it feels like a good number. Feels like a good number. Yeah, I think it would be it would be a sizable boost there because just watching this team right now, it, it definitely feels like they're a weapon short. Stefan Diggs is provably excellent. Um, McKenzie, Gabe Davis, they've had flashes, but they've been flashes. Dawson Knox, really, I think as much as you hate to say it, especially with what he's dealt with this year, since signing that big contract has been kind of a disappointment with his lack of a role in this offense consistently. And, and you also wonder 
how much of a role did they envision for him when they signed that contract? And maybe was that part of the philosophy of sort of ignoring the wide receiver group as we have Knox? Like, do you ever think about Kansas City being undermanned at wide receiver? No, because Travis Kelsey is the straw that stirs the drink of the receivers. And then you can get away with having a, a Valdez Scantling and a Juju and a Sky Moore who are not all on their own wide receiver ones, but just fine when you have Kelsey getting double and triple teamed over the middle of the field. And with Diggs kind of being our Kelsey, you know, maybe you could think about, well, if Knox could be a high end tight end, then it really doesn't matter what the rest of the wide receivers look like. So I think there's a conversation there to be had, but I'm with you. I think Odell Beckham would, would be a boost. I don't think I would be as confident as I was preseason because preseason, I was very confident the bills were going to wind up with a one seed. I'm not nearly as confident about that now, although I do think the path is still there. It very much is, but I would not put money on it at this point in time. I do think they're going to have to win a playoff game or two on the road to accomplish their ultimate goal this year. But I do think that team is capable of doing that. All right, Luca, we talked about what it would boost if Odell Beckham comes. Let's talk about from a little bit of a negative standpoint. We talked about Von Miller. If it comes out that his season is over, your baseline of 65%, how much of a drop does this 65% take if Von Miller is not coming back for the rest of this year? Man, I did not realize we we're going to be doing so many numbers on this show. Uh, <laughs> I was told there would be no math. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, um, at this point, like, it doesn't have to be a specific number. It's more like significant or is it just like, well, you know. It's it's a kidney shot, right? Mm-hmm. And I say it like that because, you know, if this were a boxing match, an NFL season is a 12-round, 15-round, whatever they do. I'm not a huge boxing guy. Like, I, my boxing knowledge pretty much goes to Rocky. But, um it's a full fledged goes the distance fight and Vaughn getting this injury picked up in Detroit. And if it were to knock him out for the year, that's a big kidney shot. That's a blow that just, it seems like it's going to linger there, but you can overcome it. I say that, but in the most negative way possible, (laughs) like I said, we can overcome it, but it's, it's always going to be that thing that hangs over your head a little bit and go, that would have been a great spot for Vaughn. Vaughn would have probably been able to do this, whatever it is. And as a fan, that would just drive me insane if we have to then go back through Arrowhead. And I say if, because there's still technically that off chance that maybe, maybe not. The reality is probably will. But if we have to go back to Arrowhead and all of a sudden we don't have that closer like we just signed because of this unfortunate event that happened, it's going to stink. It's going to suck knowing that we did try to address this. We did bring in a guy that should be here for that exact role and already kind of showed us earlier in the year what that would do. And now we don't have it in the biggest moment of the season to date. It would, it would definitely suck. If I had to put a number on it, Josh, it would drop me to an even 50. And I think that shows an important thing. And the reason I bring it down to a 50 is just as much as I think Odell could boost this roster. I think the loss of Vaughn for the remainder of the season would be more significant. And, you know, simple math here we are doing math. I went from a 65 to a 75. That is a difference of 10 in the positive direction. And all of a sudden I just dropped 15 from 65 to 50. If Vaughn's out for the year, I do think Vaughn is that important to this team. 
obviously, I mean, everyone knows how important he is to this team. It's not a crazy thing to be saying here, but this is a team that is familiar with what's going on, familiar with the environment. If we were to go back through Arrowhead and all of that fun stuff with another year under their belt, hopefully someone could step up in that manner. I mean, the one thing I will say is this, and it kind of goes with what I was about to lead into. In a game where it really seemed like it was on its edge, 50-50, you didn't know where it was going. Yes, it's the Detroit Lions. But in a game where that was kind of happening, we discussed it on Built in Buffalo Live, Josh. Ed Oliver figured something out and stepped the F up. And that's something that we just need to then see in a big moment if Vaughn's not there come later in the season. That's stuff we need to see. And I think the potential and the players that can do that are there. Ed Oliver is obviously one of them. Another one is Groot, also known as Rousseau. He's someone now with a full NFL offseason, a full kind of season. Obviously, there's the injury going on right now, so you can't say it's a true full season. But regardless, he's already back in practice. Hopefully, he's healthy by that point in time. You have these guys who can just progress further, be big-time players in big moments that if the worst thing were to happen, that is Von being out for the rest of the year, they can kind of make it happen when we need it. But you can't say that you can't say that you're going to depend on it or hope. It's a hope. It's something that you just are crossing your fingers and just praying that happens. It's not something that it's like when Vaughn does it, you almost expected it and it should happen. With Rousseau or an Ed Oliver, I think they're almost there as elite players, but it's still not something that it's like they should be doing this yet. Like we want them to do it, but I don't think that they are at that point in their careers yet at the skill set where they should be doing this. It should be depended on and expected of them. So it's it would be it would definitely be a kidney shot. It'd be a big body blow to this defense and to this team, especially if we need to then go back to Arrowhead or whatever the case may be in the playoffs where you need that closer, man. Like you need that guy to finish the game out on the defensive side of the ball. We have a guy who can close out games or obviously go win games on the offensive side. Then you just need that guy on the defensive side that can close out the damn game. And unfortunately, in this scenario that you have just laid in front of me, that one guy that we have finally plugged into that spot is gone. So you're just hoping that something out of almost seemingly nowhere steps up to then create that closeout. And um, that would just become the reality of it all. It would be, I don't want to say devastating, but it would be pretty close because everything about this season and everything about the Bills being the favorites really took off when they signed Von Miller out of the blue, whatever afternoon that was early in free agency, when the day we thought they were going to get Chandler Jones and they come away getting Von Miller and we were like, whoa. And we didn't even know Von Miller knew who the Bills were. And now Von Miller is a Buffalo Bill. And then you start thinking about like they needed somebody who can, you know, we, we heard this a million times with 13 seconds left can close out Mahomes. But when you look at what Von Miller has brought to this team, the sacks, the timely sacks, the way he finished off the Kansas City game, two drives in a row, giving the Bills the ball back with a sack to end the drive and then forcing the pressure that led to the Taron Johnson interception. And even look at the Minnesota game, a game they lost, the the sack that came before the ridiculous Justin Jefferson catch. If if Cam Lewis knocks that ball down, that's another game that you put in the win column and Von Miller closed it out. 
and that would be gone. And that doesn't have to be a death nail, like a death nail. It doesn't have to be the end of the road. But what that is, Luca brought up Rocky earlier. It's like in Rocky three, where Rocky goes out to box Clubber Lang, Mr. T. And right before the fight, Mickey has a heart attack and dies. And then Rocky gets his brains beat out and he loses the title. And then the rest of the movie, he's lost his mojo. And then actually it's Apollo Creed that reteaches him how to fight and reteaches him how to get up for the fight. And then he goes on and wins. It doesn't mean like just because you've lost your Mickey, you've lost your Von Miller, you've lost the edge you had, the guy who brought you from in, in Rocky's case being like some club fighter who was just like racking up wins over guys in Philly nobody ever heard of to be in the world champion. Like that's not who the Bills were. The Bills were a Super Bowl contender last year without Von Miller. They they should have beaten the Chiefs in Arrowhead without Von Miller and were one of the more historical collapses in NFL history away from winning that game and being the betting favorite to go on and win the Super Bowl. So the the team is still plenty good enough to do that. It's just disappointing that the person who was brought in to push you over the top would no longer be there. But what you would have to hope for is what Luca outlined, the knowledge that Von Miller has passed on to these guys, like an Ed Oliver, like a Gregory Rousseau, hopefully like a Boogie Basham and AJ Epinesa, has gotten them to the point where they're confident in their own selves, where when it's game time, when the game is on the line, the team needs to make a play, they can step up and make that play. So if Von Miller's gone, I will all be devastated, but I don't think that means the season's over because you still have Josh Allen. As much as I love Von Miller, this team is a Super Bowl contender because they have Josh Allen. And as long as he is on the field, they will be a Super Bowl contender. It's just, are they the all favorite in the entire league or is it a situation where they're just a team that's in the mix? So that would be a tough one. But I do think it's something that the Bills could survive if they have to, and they are deep at the defensive line, assuming that they get some of these guys back. All right, Luca, a couple more questions, but I am done now with the percentage game, so you can put your calculator away. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> if you could pick one player on this roster to elevate his game for the rest of the season, so whatever level he's playing at now, he takes it up a notch, maybe even a significant notch the rest of the way. Who would that player be and why? And maybe you want to think about positional value or any injuries they have or you need somebody to step up into that role. What's one player on this team that if if you could choose him to elevate himself to that next level that you think would, would make the Bills a larger percentage jump in your mind? I'm not telling you to name a percentage, but you get where I'm coming here. Who would be that player that would be the most impactful to the Bills being better than they are now? Oh, wow. I'm going to be honest, Josh. This, by a long shot, is the most difficult question you have put in front of me. Oh, man. You want me um, to give you my answer while you think about it? Yeah, you know, this is one I'm... Okay. <laughs> look, okay. I, I love this. This is amazing. I definitely have to put a little bit of thought into this. So, yeah, Josh, please fill us in with yours because, yeah, I need a little bit of a second here. Okay. So, I think there are some answers that came to mind right off the bat. One, 
we just talked about Von Miller. So if you could get one of those pass rushers to really step up and, you know, and you think about someone like Rousseau, the next level for him is Pro Bowl level. And that would be fantastic. And even if you had Von Miller, that would be great. That's not my answer. Um, you think about the fact that Micah Hyde's been out. So you think about maybe one of the safeties stepping up and becoming, you know, a high end starter. Um, I don't think we've seen that so far. Um, I, Gabe Davis makes a lot of sense in this regard because what this offense has been missing is a second weapon. And he was my runner up answer for sure. But my answer is going to be a little bit out of left field and it's going to be Kyrie Elam. And my, my reasoning for that is I'm willing to roll the dice that Trey white comes back. And by the time he's ramped up is ready to be a high end starter. Is he going to be an all pro best cornerback in the league? I don't know about that, but a high end starter is something the bills have not had at cornerback this defense all year long. So I think they've had baseline starters at best. And I think Tredavious white would give them a high end starter on one side. If Kair Elam could take a mid season jump and go from being like a baseline starter to also being a high end starter and the bills who might potentially be down their best pass rusher now can hang their hat on having great elite coverage in the secondary with their two cornerbacks that gives them flexibility to blitz more because now they have guys they trust on an island and they can start sending guys on blitzes from the secondary because they know the two corners on the outside are not going to get roasted. That's to me where Kair Elam wins, but I think there's a lot of ways you could go with this answer, but he's my answer there. That's an interesting one because the funniest part about it is when you started laying this question out to me and, you know, kind of uh, fielding me for this, um, my head did immediately go to corner first. I will say that. And Kair was definitely one that popped in my head. Obviously, if we're talking corner, of course, Kair seems to be that guy. Um, yeah, I, so I don't even know who to call out for this. I mean, I kind of do, but this is something that I know a lot of Bill's Twitter likes to discuss for an individual or for a reason and things like that. And I just need that thing to be there again. So I guess there's a player that can go with that. Um, but overall, it's you brought up Gabe Davis. And yeah, he is definitely a big time one that you could potentially put there. Um, I will say DeMar Hamlin to the point of is I would love for him to step up, but to the, I actually don't hate where he's already at. Like, of course you want a player to always play better, but DeMar Hamlin where he's at, I'm, I'm fine with like, it's, it's almost like one of those ones, as long as Poyer is there with him, I think that we can get by with that. Like that is perfectly okay. Um, my head, though, goes to just not to go on a tangent here. My head goes to that safety blanket. We need a dang safety blanket for this offense for Josh Allen. That one thing that just was always there in these years now where if it wasn't working out downfield, if the play wasn't just kind of being there, the as we've brought up before, the Cole Beasley role was always there. The thing that could move the chains, the one thing that it wasn't play design people, it wasn't designed for him to then just get a three, four yard check down, whatever it may be, and then just be able to make a quick move, do whatever it is to get the first down. That was just all Cole Beasley. That was just all his role on this offense, no matter the play call for the most part. So 
my head goes to Isaiah McKenzie naturally, but again, it's like in this situation, yes, that's the player I'm going to ask. I just don't know if I need to isolate it to him or if I just need either him, Knox, uh, Shakir, if he somehow figures it out, any one of these guys, or maybe even get a little fancier here and say James Cook, maybe develop a little bit, become a little bit smarter in that style role, whatever it may be. It's So one of these guys that you look at on this roster and should be someone that could potentially fill that position and elevate their game to be a comfortable safety blanket for Josh Allen on offensive plays, that's my answer. Because the thing that this offense seems to be lacking and the thing that seems to stall it out all the time there's a couple things, but that's the one that I really look at. And just time and time again, I go, Allen needs to do something here to create the first down rather than just have that comfortable thing that he knew was going to be there pre-snap that when one or two reads, whatever the situation may be, was not there. He had that. He knew it was there. It was that warm, cozy blanket that was laying on the side of the bed that he just pulled over himself just to fix himself through the middle of the night and get through the night or get through the drive. Get his day moving. And um, that's where my like, I think your answer is beautiful. And I'll be honest, is probably where my head was at first, because, again, that is what popped into my head first. But take that away. And I really think on par, it's not exactly a player. It's just what player can finally elevate themselves to become that safety blanket, become that reliable underneath, check down whatever word you want to paint on it. Be that weapon for this offense so that finally chains can get moved at a more regular occurrence. Because when that happens again, I really think we can see this offense as a whole elevate itself back up to what we know it to be and really start moving along right as we need it to. It's kind of, it's a, it, I feel like I answered your question, Josh, mm-hmm. but in a weird way, I guess I, I, yeah, I didn't put one player to it just to throw a name there. It would be awesome to see Isaiah McKenzie be that of course, but in reality, I'm just asking for that role to yeah. really elevate itself somewhere. Uh, we've been talking so much about, and I know Cole Beasley is a hot button topic and I totally respect anybody who just rolls their eyes at some of his, you know, wherever you stand politically, that is not our business. Wherever you stand on the COVID shot, his, his thoughts on some of that. Um, that's not what this conversation is. The conversation is as a football player, the last few years when this offense has hit skids, like they've, they've struggled. There was always that safety blanket of, well, there's chaos going on. Let's throw it to Cole Beasley for eight yards. Let's get the first down. Let's reset and refocus. That's just not there right now. So that's exactly, I'm with you hundred percent. If there was a player on this roster capable of that, McKenzie certainly fits that role. Um, I think another guy could be Spencer Brown, but I just feel like, oh, you yeah. know, the way, the way Allen can create, even when there's pressure in his face, um, I, I feel like I'd rather have like the lockdown corner or the the safety blanket receiver and just deal with whatever happens on the right side. Uh, but man, like the offensive line after Dawkins and Morse, and I will say Bates has been playing better in recent weeks. I'm really been impressed with that. Uh, but outside of that, like the offensive line to me has been uh, kind of scary. So there's two more questions here, Luca, before we get out of here. Um, the next one is going to be a game show question behind door. Number one is, a fully healthy Josh Allen, 
a fully healthy Bills roster without Micah Hyde, without Micah Hyde, that's important, and no Odell Beckham Jr. But everybody who's currently either on the injury report or on short-term IR like Christian Benford is back, and Von Miller's back with a brace, so whatever that means for his style. The Bills are fully healthy, round one of the playoffs, but they are a wild-card team. They did not win the AFC East, but they are a wild-card team. Behind door number two is we let the rest of the season play out however it plays out. Which door are you going with? Uh, um, also, don't forget Jameson Crowder in that uh, discussion to come back, uh, potentially. Yeah. And that would be great. Um, hmm, he might actually be that safety blanket. I know no one wants to hear me linger on here. I would probably, oh man, I would probably take door one. A bird in the hand is worth a hell of a lot more than what's in that bush. And I don't even want to say two in the bush, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't know what is in that bush yet. According to this question, if now let me just paint it this way. If you're giving me that and we're a wild card, I am going to say it's safe to assume we're probably the five. Just I'm going to guess that. And if we're the five, we're probably either going to, uh, well, after watching today um, or yesterday, if you're listening on a Monday here, uh, either Baltimore or Tennessee. Um uh yeah no I I would definitely take that yeah I would I would take one um based on that it doesn't need to matter about the opponents of course I'm just saying I would assume they'd be a five just based on this team and their skill set and especially if they get healthy late you would assume then they would be able to crack off the wins to kind of secure that spot um yeah it's I would love this team at full health no matter the place more so than as we discussed here uh, Vaughn being potentially out or, you know, say Crowder's ankle injury, since obviously we're talking the scenario, anyone that's currently on the IR active roster, whatever you want to call it, whatever phase of injury report they are at, they are healthy in this scenario, preface, asterisks, everything about it. Crowder's back. You have your full arsenal that you hope to have when the game started to matter. And I'd like, there's a reason that team was the betting favorite. I think there's part of it was it seemed like it was going to come through Buffalo and there's a big advantage to that. But overall, I think that's secondary to just what the team they could put out there was and what the ceiling of that team is. And if everyone is kind of going and healthy, at least I like our chances anywhere. I like what we can do as a team. If we're at full health and at full arsenal, And if Trey White is able to get up to speed and be that all pro guy, he is. If Kyer even doesn't elevate as you just put it there, but is full health. If um, uh, what you call it, my boy Christian Benford's back now. Crowder's back on the offensive side. Vaughn's okay. Now you have Russo and Vaughn on the edge. Like everything kind of falls where it was, where you wanted it to be in the preseason. It's just the unfortunate reality is now in this, as you have laid it in front of us. We are on the road seemingly for three straight games to get to that big game. And um, I, it'd be stressful. It would be painful to go through Arrowhead. It'd be painful to go anywhere else, reality. But you got to be in the dance. You got you to gotta be there. Like the most important thing is being there. And if you are there and you are healthy, 
that is massive. And I feel like that's the two most valuable things. You have to be part of it. One, of course, that is top priority, people. <laughs> you can't win the Super Bowl if you don't make the playoffs. Secondly, you have to be at best health possible. There's, of course, luck that comes into it. But as long as you have those first two things, I feel like luck should hopefully go your way if you feel good about what you have. And I think everyone should feel good about what we have if we're at full health. So beating around the bush, going like crazy here in circles. Yeah, give me door one, Josh, in this scenario. Uh, lock it in, final answer, push the button, lock the key. Boom, boom, boom. That's what I'm doing. Door one, get me in the show. I'm door one as well. Uh, bird in hand, any, any way you want to put it. There's so many things that can go wrong in door two. There is a scenario where the bills don't make the playoffs. It's not likely. Uh, there's a scenario where more important players get hurt. Diggs, Allen, uh, Morse again, Dawkins comes back and gets hurt. Milano gets hurt. Uh, Poyer hurt. So there's so much out there that could go wrong. You could play out the string and still wind up as a wild card. And I, I think that's maybe even 50, 50 at this point. I, I really do. So to me, if you get this team fully healthy, no hide, no Beckham, but fully healthy for the realistic case scenario, this team, I will take my chances with on any field against any opponent in any building. Like Lucas said, I don't care. It's, it's not about like, yeah, if, if you're telling me right now, they're going to open up against Tennessee, like sign me up all day long. But the reality is it could be Miami. It could be AFC North winner X, which is either Cincinnati or Baltimore. And that would be a little more challenging, obviously. Uh, but at the same time, they're going to be challenging. It's a playoff game. So I'd rather have full health, have the guys that you are paying and counting on to be there. And if it means that the fans in the stands are rooting against your guys, so be it. Um, I think this team thrives under those kind of pressure situations anyway. Um, so I would not fear a road path for this team, although I would obviously prefer the one seed and the buy. Last question, Luca. I need you to power rank the AFC East, all four teams, including the Bills, from worst to best. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um. So it's not going to be the current standings that it lays at this point in time. Spoiler alert. I may have mentioned and tipped my hand a little bit, not knowing that this question was going to happen here, but I may have tipped my hand a little bit and said that one of these teams people need to not sleep on and shouldn't have slept on going into this year. And when they had the likes of Bailey Zappi in, it shouldn't have been too much of a surprise that they were able to still get production and make things happen. And that's because they have a very, very good front office, very good coaching staff, and have proven they know how to maximize anyone's output, no matter the position, no matter what they do. So, of course, that team is New England, and that is one that I believe a lot of people would rank for. I put them at Three. The reason I do that is because the Jets, who, if you're listening to this on Monday, uh, just handled uh, somewhat comfortably the Bears yesterday. Um, I feel like that was a little bit fake. One, there's no Justin Fields. It was Trevor Simeon um, who <laughs> injured himself and in, injured himself in warm up. Looked like it wasn't going to be starting, but then started anyways. And 
whatever happened there happened there. But you beat the Bears. Congratulations, New York. Happy for you, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. I don't care. They are still a team that I don't feel like is much to it. They're too young. They they had a rookie quarterback that they just benched and didn't even make active because he wouldn't accept any sort of criticism and fault for a defeat to this team that I just put at number three, who it took a punt return touchdown in the dying seconds to then get the win over the Jets. So Jets are four. New England is three. And then there is a pretty substantial gap in the standings of this AFC East. I think it shows that their records are 500 or better because they are still good teams. But from there, now we're in one and two, of course. And at this point in time, now let me ask you this real quick, Josh. Are you asking me this with both where the rosters currently sit and are projected to be or optimistically, I guess, in the way of, Hey, you know, Vaughn might not be out for the year or whatever. It's just currently the knowledge you have on November 27th. This is probably going to surprise some people with the knowledge I currently have here at 1055 PM Eastern standard time on Sunday, November 27th. At this very second, I would have. No, I'm just kidding. I have Miami two and the Bills one. Um, I will say this. I fear the Dolphins more than I have all season. I think they can be good. I think the respect on Tua needs to be had. I think anyone that is hating on a Dolphins fan or whatever on Twitter, social media, wherever you may post and like to interact that is hating on Tua from this point forward needs to stop their game against the Texans. There is validity to anything anyone was saying against their game against the Texans when they pulled Tua super early. And then they also pulled their receivers, of course, but they pulled Tua super early. Everything stopped. Then they brought in those weapons again to try to manage the game and see it out. And it still wasn't happening for them. Nothing was moving. And Tua's decision making has gotten so much better. And everything about his game has really stepped up and elevated. He is no longer a joke, people. He is no longer a one-trick pony. He's no longer someone that can't get past his first read. And then it's a disaster. Like, he is a legitimate guy in this league now and you have to respect it you have to it's okay to you know hate on dolphins fans if you really want because that's what makes you happy cool i'm all happy for you but just try to do it in other ways because two is not the avenue to go down and i will tell you that it's a significant this is a great way to put it josh the bills to me are still 1a because 17 is still to me the best or second best quarterback in this entire league and that is always what will give me the edge in ranking teams but the dolphins aren't even really a two they're a two plus or a 1b like they are a legitimate team with honestly the the biggest problem i see for the dolphins is just inexperienced coach and i just Still, I think McDaniel's a great uh, play caller. I think he has a great mind of football. I think there's a lot of things that he does well. The thing I'm still kind of like juries out on with him is, is he truly, and you brought this up about McDermott. McDermott's big into leadership and stuff of that nature. I don't know what McDaniel's mindset is with that. And I don't see anything to me that 
uh, exhumes that to the public and really f- makes me feel like, yeah, this is a guy who can command a sideline in a stress environment and get these guys to go into playoff environments and playoff games and make things happen and get their focus on it and stuff like that. Like if, if anything starts to go bad and awry, like, can he kind of bring them, rein them back in and get them through that and get their talent to push on and forward? I don't know. I really don't know. I'm not saying McDermott is the goat at this either. Like we have already seen things that I think you can point to coaching being somewhat at the fault of as well in these environments, but we've seen successes as well. And we know McDermott is a good leader overall of a dressing room, a locker room, everything of the variety from top to bottom. He knows how to command a sideline. We do know that it is confirmed. We have all seen it for years now. I don't know if McDaniel's that guy. For that reason, and Josh Allen over Tua still, I would go Bills 1A, uh, Dolphins 2 plus or 1B, however you want to do it, a pretty sizable gap, then New England, then the Jets. That's where they sit. And in that sizable gap, I want to just preface once one more time, people, they have the records they have because they are still good teams. I would take any of these teams in this division to whoop the arse of anyone other than Kansas City in the AFC West. I think that's a great comparable because now you're talking Chargers, Broncos, and Raiders. And to be flat out honest, even the Patriots and Jets, I think are at par with some of those teams because those teams just have so many holes to them that I think there are too many good things on these AFC East teams to overcome what they are across the field of and we're, would be able to make things happen on. So yeah, one more time, Bills 1A, Dolphins 2 plus 1B, whatever you want to call it. A little bit of a gap, sizable gap, uh, New England, then the Jets, Josh. You got the top two right. Um, I feel like I feel like I'm going to go Bills over Dolphins 2. I'm with you 100%. It's time to stop disrespecting Tua. The Dolphins are real. I think they're the third team in the AFC right now. If Kansas City's one, Buffalo's two, Miami's three. As far as if I'm looking at it from a Bills standpoint and I'm trying to forge the path through the playoffs of teams I'd like to avoid, Kansas City's one, Miami's two. That's that's how I shake it out. And the reason why I give the Bills the edge over Miami is because the context of what we're, I think we're talking about here is in a playoff scenario, I love Tua. I, I love what I've seen from Tua. I don't want to say I love Tua, but I love what I've seen from him. It's time to call it like it is. I still am taking Josh Allen over Tua. There's still physical gifts that Josh Allen has that Tua just does not have. Now, Tua is starting to look like a little bit more mobile version. I don't want to say Drew Brees because I don't think Tua is – is still like that precise and that accurate where you still see him miss throws. There was a segment of Drew Brees' career where it just like every time he threw the ball, it was on the money. But it's that kind of player where he's not going to take it over with it athletically, but he's still timing, precision, and the weapons they have, you miss one tackle and they are just gone. And their running game has come on strong with Jeff Wilson and then Raheem Mostert was out today, but that's a good one-two punch there. As far as the Jets and Patriots go, I think from a bill standpoint, I'm more fearful of the jets just because their defense really matches up well with the bills offense. But when you look at those two teams against each other, power rankings wise, the Patriots have wiped the floor with the jets in New York 
And then I know it was Zach Wilson, but held him the three points in New England. And then it was a punt return. I don't know. To me, I feel like if the Bills play the Patriots, and I know they're playing this Thursday, and I think there's a there's a chance the Bills could lose this game. I would sign in whatever you want for the Bills to play the Patriots in the playoffs. The Bills just to me, and we're going to get into the Patriots here in a second, but the Bills to me have better players, have a better quarterback, a better roster. And it's just like, to me, that's just one of those matchups where they might get you once in the regular season if some fluky things go their way or there's some wind or whatever. But when it comes down to playoff time, I think think my microphone is shaking there. Uh, When it comes down to playoff time, I think the Bills are going to prove to be better like it happened last year where the Jets just have enough wild cards on their team. They have explosive playmakers on offense. I'm not a Mike White believer, but neither one of those teams scare me. I would go Jets three, Patriots four. It's kind of close. Agree there's a huge gap. I think Miami is upper echelon AFC. But let's focus on the Patriots here, Luca, because they're what's next for the Bills this week. Last year was a wild ride with the Patriots. I think coming into last year, there was this idea that the Bills, who had won the AFC East in 2020, the COVID year, were just going to coast to the AFC East title in 2021, and that didn't really happen. In fact, by midseason, the Patriots were ahead of the Bills, and they beat the Bills on Monday Night Football in Buffalo in a historically bad weather game where they ran the ball all but three snaps, and it was just an outlier of a game. And then the bills went into new England and and took back control of the AFC East with a game that the bills offense was so efficient. They didn't even punt one time. And then in the playoffs, we all know what happened where the bills just embarrassed the Patriots didn't punt scored a touchdown in every possession and blew them out with the worst defeat in Belichick's career. And it looked like men against boys out there coming into this year, the bills, Super Bowl favorite Patriots. What are they doing with their roster? Luca's here to remind you, hey, they still have Belichick. They're probably going to be competitive. The Bills, I believe, are a five-and-a-half-point favorite the last I saw on Thursday against the Patriots. When I look at this team, Luca, I still kind of view this team as more of, I think, the, the sum of the parts is actually better than the individual pieces. Uh, you know, they have some interesting pieces. Like, they they have what I think is one strong cornerback in Jonathan Jones. They... They have a cornerback in Jalen Mills, who I think can very much be had. But with Jonathan Jones, with two strong safeties, or when I say strong, I mean like high-level safeties in McCordy and Duggar, I think they're going to have the ability to double-team digs and force some of those secondary playmakers for the Bills to really step up and beat you. They are missing Christian Barmore. He was put on injury reserve last week. That is a huge loss for them. He is their best defensive lineman, and it may not be particularly close. But where I get concerned, Luca, just thinking about this from a Bills offensive side against the Patriots defensive side is, you know, Belichick is going to be able to throw things at the Bills that makes them second guess. Josh Allen even talked about it today. They do a great job of pre-snap disguise to where you really don't know if it's man or zone until the ball is snapped. So you have to kind of read it as it happens. It's a Belichick staple. He's been doing it for years. If Deion Dawkins can't go this week, and it's either Questenberry or Spencer Brown at left tackle, the other one at right tackle. The Patriots have what I believe is still the league-leading sacker in Matt Judon, who is having an outstanding year. But then they also have another excellent um, edge rusher in Dietrich Wise, who has taken over that role 
and thrived. And it's almost like, like, like Lucas said at the beginning of the year, Belichick finds these guys who have never been excellent, puts them in a role that they fit into and just says, do this. That's all I need you to do is do this. You saw it with like Ted Johnson and Teddy Bruschi and Mike Vrabel back in the day where these guys were just cast offs from other teams. And then they come to new England and thrive. And I get really concerned about the bills. If Belichick can find a way to slow down digs with, with multiple players, forcing other guys like Davis McKenzie and Knox to beat them. If the bills are down Dawkins with those two edge rushers, I, I think there's at least a path for the bills to be struggling a bit offensively. Yeah. I mean, it shouldn't come to, it shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. If the bills, especially out the gate or whatever you want to, you know, at any point in that game that we're going to watch Thursday where, it's slow. It looks broken or Josh is struggling to see what's going on or whatever it may be like. This is exactly what Belichick does to everyone. And he has been doing it for a long time. And it's the Patriots. There's a reason I put them at three. I just think the point that Josh brought up there that I have brought up there and I bring up all the time to people is you can never doubt what Belichick does with a roster, at least on the defensive side of the ball, because he is so, I mean, there is way, way too much history in finding guys. I still cannot believe Lawrence guy is a player in this league. I, he is an Arizona state player alum just for the fun fact of it, you know, forks up, let's go that I never even saw at ASU being a big time player in this league. And again, as he came into the, you know, once he got to the league and I believe he had a stint with the Ravens and stuff, there was nothing ever really like he was never bad. He was just never anything special. And yet Belichick has found something in him that he is just a stalwart with them and just reliable in his role with that team through all these years. And it doesn't surprise me that they have now found another guy that can fit opposite Judon. Judon, speaking of which, I feel like is always a little bit overlooked as a great edge defender in this league. He's always been that guy. Um, It's just, I don't know. This is a team that, I don't want anyone to sleep on it. And then like they have guys, just one more Jack Jones, another Arizona state alum that I called We have mm-hmm. audio clips of this. I called it from right after the draft. I liked him pre-draft. I just didn't think he was a bills target style guy because of his deficiencies, mainly in zone, um, <laughs> all in zone. And, but get him in the hands of a guy like Bill Belichick who likes to run two under man and just kind of just man press you and do whatever you can and frustrate you. Jack Jones was so good at just, there were years at Arizona state where it was like, he never had safety help over top. He would get beat from time to time at Arizona state because that defense around him was so bad at times, but like he was always welcoming the challenge of don't even give me safety over top help. Put me on an Island. I don't care. I'll do my job. And he would do a good job in that setting. Now you've given him to a defensive mastermind. That is Bill Belichick in a system that will help that over top, over top nonsense. That is scary. People very, very, he's a great athlete. He has a great sense for the ball and understands what is going on in routes and stuff in his assignment and can make things happen. Very, very scary. Jack Jones. 
I have a feeling that he's going to be someone that I'm going to dread watching on Thursday because I am familiar with him. I love him. And now I, we have to do something against him. It's probably going to happen. And I am dreading this moment, Josh. I can promise you this. But anyways, to this point, this is not a walkover. This is not going to be an easy game. The Patriots will not be that game. We shouldn't be surprised by that. We should win this game. It should happen. I could see this being something with where we sit today currently being a game where it's kind of back and forth, a little sluggish, you know, a classic divisional game, Josh. But then eventually the Bills find a way to make it happen in late in the fourth quarter or even in mid fourth quarter that they can pull away a little bit, make it a two score game, goes back to a one score game, but an onside kick fails, whatever you want to call it. Right. Like that kind of scenario where the Bills just found a dirty way at times to win the game against a an opponent that. They're inferior as a roster, but they're not inferior at a coaching level or anything else in that variety. Like they know how to maximize output from a lot of different positions, even if on paper they shouldn't be that productive or whatever it is from the outside looking in. So it's gonna be it's gonna be I honestly I'm Josh, I'm gonna be honest. I'm I'm excited to see this. It's the only other divisional opponent that this Bills team has not faced yet this year. And now they understand that these divisional games are just absolute. I mean, every game is pretty much an absolute must game at this point in time. It's not playoff absolute must win. But I mean, with the expectations this team has and what they're capable of doing, you can basically call it a kind of must win. But the divisionals, if you really want to win the AFC East, if you want to make sure you make it a three-peat as a division winner, this has to be a win and you have to know that I'm sure the guys in the bills locker room understand that. And you're going into new England where they also understand how important this game is for them. Not only is it important for them as a divisional game, but this really can be for them a season defining game. They are going to come out with everything they have, whatever that may be. And we need to just be able to both weather the storm and get the job done and be the team we know this Bills team can be and get out of there with a win. That is the most important part of this game. I don't care how it happens. It'd be awesome if it's beautiful and comfortable and it's like the COVID year where you got, you know, John Brown smoking Gilmore and it was just like, oh, this is money. Like, I I know that was 2019. That was 2019, but yeah, I know what you mean. COVID year with Diggs' deuces to J.C. Jackson. Yeah, J.C. Jackson. Sorry. It's the smoke on the mind, you know? I just, I love John Brown so much. Anyways, I want that moment to happen, yes, but I don't think that's the reality of it. And we just need to brace ourselves with, hey, get out with a win, because at the end of the day, if we're out of this at 9-3, and and finally, cannot believe we're saying this, but week 13, getting our first divisional win, that would be massive. The uglier this game is, the better it is for the Patriots. I don't think that they can win a clean game with the Bills, but I think they have plenty of talent on both sides of the ball to muddy the waters. When you look at their offense, I I do like some of the receivers they have. Devontae Parker has never been a special player, but I certainly think he can get open on Dane Jackson. And if the ball's in the air, I'm going to put my money on Devontae Parker there. Uh, Kendrick Bourne has always been a really nice player. Jacoby Myers, I think, is really underrated, a really good route runner. 
I think they have guys that right now with the current state of the Bills secondary are going to find ways to get open. It's just a matter of can their offensive line give Mac Jones time to find them. And without Von Miller, that's where you start to wonder where is the pressure going to come from? They are a little bit weak on the interior with Cole Strange uh, being one of the worst rated guards per PFF. So maybe you could see a situation where an Oliver or a Jordan Phillips could really take over the game there, Daquan Jones. But I think the Patriots probably are going to have a similar strategy to what the Lions look like they're trying to do, run the ball quite a bit. They have a fantastic duo of Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris. And with the Bills still, they did better on Thanksgiving, but the Bills still are a little bit leaky in the running game, especially if Edmonds, hopefully Edmonds is out there. That is huge if Edmonds is out there. I think everybody has learned that now. But the Patriots, I think, are going to try to shorten the game, run the ball, take their shots in the passing game when they get opportunities to do so. And if this is a one-score game in the fourth quarter, that's a win for the Patriots, and they're going to hope that they can make a play there and win. This is very much, to me, like a reversal of roles from when the Brady Patriots played the drought bills. The drought bills just hoped the game was close enough in the fourth quarter you could try to steal it, and then obviously, more often than not, Brady made a play and the Bills didn't. Hopefully, us having Josh Allen will be the ultimate neutralizer there. It's still too early in the week to get a good feel for like the injury report. I haven't even seen one posted by the Patriots yet, so I'm not really ready to give my prediction on the score. You can look for Luca and I to do that later in the week on our Twitter page. And then Luca and I will be back on Friday on Built in Buffalo Live to talk about it. Luca, any final thoughts here as we've had this high-level Bills conversation? I don't know, like a therapy session almost. Uh, but as the Bills embark on this three-game stretch against AFC East foes, it's it's really kind of do or die now for these 2022 Buffalo Bills. It's about time to find out what they're really about. Their backs are a little bit against the wall, but they're out of mulligan, so to speak, particularly in the AFC East. They got to start winning games starting with this Thursday. Any final thoughts here before we get out of here? Yeah, I mean, it's just an interesting time now. We we have the ladder that is the AFC East in front of us these next three weeks. Luckily, we get a little extra you know, time to prep for that second one after playing Thursday night against the Patriots. But overall, this is a moment where we will really understand the full picture of what the Bills have in front of them. And I mean, look, playoffs of course is kind of where this team should be so where are they in that picture from that point on I feel like these three weeks of course are going to define that and really lay itself out for us so hopefully they can step up and be that team we know they are it's crazy to me still to this day that our first divisional win is still there for the taking week 13 I cannot believe that's the reality of this and one more time I just want to say this really has been in my mind, Josh, for weeks now to be funny, like not to be funny, but there is going to be a moment in this game that Jack Jones really tugs in my heart and makes me just feel awful because I love him to death. There was no reality of him being, well, I guess he could have been on other teams where it would just been easier to root for, but he wasn't going to be a bill. It's just he doesn't fit this style, but now he's on the enemy kind of deal. And it's like if he steps up and makes a moment happen for the Patriots against these Bills, the team that I love, I'm going to just be heartbroken. I'll probably I might be uh, hanging out with a friend at their house, Josh, to watch this game. I could be laying face first on his basement floor, just not knowing what to feel at that moment. I mean, the reality is I'll be very sad, but 
You know what I mean. You can catch my drift. I will not be a happy person. Well, hopefully it's a situation where he gets an interception late in the game. The Bills are up 47 to 17 like they were in the playoffs. And it's oh, Case Keenum throwing the ball. Speaking of 47 to 17, let's just be honest. Like if, if you have any pride as a competitor, the Patriots are going to be coming out full force in this game because they remember how their season ended last year. Think how personal the Bills have taken these last couple trips to Arrowhead, knowing that the Chiefs had ended their season. So we are going to get the Patriots best shot on Thursday. And we'll see if these Bills, who probably are going to be undermanned again, um, can withstand that and get a win. Luca and I will be back on Friday to talk about what went on in the Patriots game. And that will be our post game show live on built in Buffalo, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. We would love for you to join us. If you get in chat, you can ask us questions live and interact with us. We're having a really good time with that. And then we'll be back on bills chat next Monday. As we start looking forward to the bills next game against the New York jets. And we will wrap up all the action from the previous week in the National Football League. For Luca, I am Josh. We will see you next time on Bills Chat.